Thanks for joining us for the latest Grazia Life Advice podcast. I'm Lottie Jeffs and it's so good to be with you. This time, someone who has been a model, a political party advisor on LGBT rights, a documentary maker, and continues to be a trans activist and campaigner. I'm Monroe Bergdorf, I'm an activist, and I'm this week's guest on the Grazia Life Advice podcast. As an activist and campaigner very much in the public eye, Monroe has great advice about keeping yourself safe, rising above angry social media confrontations, and not being distracted from your big goals in life. It's a process and I think it really involves your support network because if your support network isn't on the same page as you, you can often find yourself being supported with things that you don't really want to do. Coming up, Monroe's recollections of first transitioning and how she feels now about the advice she got from older people in the trans community. But I kind of wish that I'd listened to my queer elders a lot more at the beginning of my transition because a lot of what they told me would happen should I not be connected with myself, that it wouldn't put me in a good position emotionally and spiritually, physically or mentally. And later, something too few people seem to understand boundaries you need to put in place to have a respectful difference of opinion. There has to be mutual respect there. If we meet each other with respect and it's respectful and they're open to changing their mind, I'm open to seeing the other side, then we can have a conversation. It was so interesting hearing Monroe's life advice. She was recovering from a cold at the time that we spoke, so was worried that she wouldn't be quite on point, but I think she really, really was. So I hope you enjoyed the chat. Hello Munro and thanks so much for joining us. How's your day going? I'm good. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I've kind of got this um lurk that's going around, so I've been recovering from that, but I feel really good about um life in general. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for having me. What kind of um what kind of ill person are you? Are you like <laughs> a attention seeking um person that needs loads of care or are you like just leave me alone I just need to be in my bedroom very much the latter I kind of feel very sorry for myself I go through waves of feeling very overwhelmed very like I can't deal with anything that I usually can deal with if I'm at full health but yeah I just very kind of like shut myself away don't talk to anybody ignore all my messages kind of and then come out then come out in a burst of glory once She's I'm back. at full health yeah <laughs> <laughs> make the comeback soon Amazing. Um, Okay, so let's crack on with your first piece of advice, which is um, remember that how people treat you is often a reflection of how they see themselves. Very interesting. Mm. Could you talk to us a bit about this? Yeah, I think because... I think that this is generally advice that everybody can take. But for me personally, the way that my life has gone means that a lot of people have opinions of me that they don't actually, but they don't actually really know me as a person. So when I'm being told about myself, either on social media or if I'm seeing people talk about me and they don't think that I can see it, or if the papers are saying things about me that aren't true or devoid of context, I just remember that, you know, there's often motive behind the way that people treat 
other people or it's about the fact that there's something within them whether it's trauma and people that haven't dealt with their own trauma just kind of projecting it onto you or it can be anger or it can be um, you know manipulation there's a lot that goes on in the media with um, dog whistle politics and you know people's um, lack of education being weaponized to further an agenda so there's loads of reasons why people can react to you as a person or misconstrue you and misconstrue your personality so I often try to remind myself that what people say and what people do is largely an amalgamation of where they're at and sometimes it really doesn't have anything to do with you so I try not to take it personally. Does that degree of empathy make it easier though to deal with or do you sometimes find that it's actually even more work for you to have to be so generous in your um, response to people's um I, I mean I do I do think that you know we need to be practicing more empathy as a society in general and I do think you know that there's always a reason why people behave the way that they do um it doesn't really take that much out of my you know out of my energy bank to taking con- into consideration that you know hurt people hurt people and at the end of the day a happy person isn't going around making other people's lives harder because they're more focused on healing and making space for other people so um yeah when somebody gets angry at me for being myself my brain does instantly go to the fact oh this is an unhealed person this is someone that's holding on to something that's angry about something else and angry about the fact that I'm not angry about the same thing that they are so I think it makes it easier for me to be honest um I don't need to heal them that's that's on them that's their responsibility but I do need to acknowledge that hurt people hurt people angry people add more anger to the situation and anger can be a positive thing but if the anger's coming with a will to cause more damage or without resolve. Um, I think anger with resolve is often a very productive emotion. Um, I mean, that's, you know, activism at the end of the day. I mean, we're all angry about misogyny. We're angry about racism, homophobia, but we want resolve as well. But if you just want to breed more anger, then that's a very unproductive emotion. And that just kind of signals to me um, that, you know, there's there's healing that needs to take place there. Absolutely. Munro, what is your second piece of advice for us today? My second piece of advice is self-care as a continuous practice before you burn out, not just when you're burning out. And this is something that I really need to take more advice um, and I need to heed this it. This feels like it's coming from a <laughs> person, very personal experience. Um, yeah. Tell us about that. Well, I think it's why I'm in this situation now and I'm coming to you um, not so live, but very directly not that well. So, um, yeah, I, I have a tendency to work myself into the ground and then be surprised why I feel like I'm spreading myself thin. And I, I have a, I have like a problem not saying no, but... I think when you've come from a place where you found it very hard to get into the industry, once you are, once you gain success in the industry, you really want to hold on to it. And I have this fear 
of um, turning down opportunities because I know what it's like to not have them. But at the same time, you can't just say yes to everything because when you say yes to everything, you're not going to be able to give your all to anything. It's really, really hard um, because... I think everybody in your team needs to be on the same page about, you know, what the end goal is. And um, when I keep the end goal in mind, it's so much easier to understand what I should and shouldn't be doing. So recently I had a, a conversation with my management about the the amount of commercial work that I'm doing. And I didn't get into this industry or this job to, you know, do commercial work necessarily. It was about educating people about empowering people about empowering people like myself and um, starting conversations and obviously with a lot of the work that I've done um, and a lot of the conversations that I've been involved in they're not really mainstream conversations or they weren't mainstream conversations when I was having them in the beginning and I think we've you know with George Floyd and with the transgender tipping point we've definitely you know moved into a mainstream sense and even you know drag has moved into a mainstream avenue but um yeah I so I didn't get into this industry to um you know sell stuff and I have been struggling with the amount of brands, struggling with the idea of the amount of brands that my name's attached to, because I was just like, oh God, I feel like I'm losing myself a little bit. So I think there's a lot to be said about checking in with yourself, because when you don't check in with yourself, you end up spreading yourself thin uh, because you lose sight of the goal. So I'm really just trying to keep the goal in mind so that I don't oversubscribe myself. Yeah. And just for people listening, like, what does checking in with yourself look like for you? Is it talking to a friend, a therapist? Is it writing in a notebook? Um, Is it just sitting on your own and thinking? I think it really depends on who you are as a person and, um, you know, how you get to your core. I think that's it. It's getting to your core. It's about taking stock of your life and asking yourself, is this who I am? Is this where I want to go? Am I happy with everything that I'm doing? I guess it's just having like a, what's it, what's it called when um, you go through a stockroom and like look at all of like, Oh, like an inventory check. Yeah, I think it's like a life inventory check. It's like just making sure that everything is pointed towards, um, you know, not the final destination, but the next checkpoint. It's um, it's a process. And I think it really involves your support network because if your support network isn't on the same page as you, you can often find yourself being supported with things that you don't really want to do. So I had to check in to my management and just say, look, I know that work is great and I'm really, really happy with everything, you know, I'm happy that I'm getting these opportunities, but I think we really need to be keeping close to the message. And as much as I love working with some of these brands, I need to make sure that it's in alignment with um, who I am as a person and what I want to achieve. And also the message that I'm putting out to other people. Yeah. Your third piece of advice, Munro, is Ask yourself if you're healing or just distracted. Yes. (laughs) What does that mean? So it's kind of similar to the previous one, but 
I, well, I wrote this to you guys before Michaela Cole's um, speech at the Emmys, but her speech really drove it home for me. And she said something about browsing through the lives of others to understand how we feel about ourselves. And also um, visibility somehow equates to success in this time that we're living in. And um, I have a very complicated relationship with social media. Some days I love it, some days I absolutely loathe it, some days I wish it wasn't invented. And I really want to go back to like a life with actual connection and actual social behaviour rather than an illusion of both of those things. So... I have a theory that we are all, well, it's not so much a theory as it's fact, that we're all traumatised people. We all have an experience of trauma within our lives. And we have the option of either healing from that, which is the difficult option, or we have the option of distraction, which is the easy option. And I think for many people that use social media in a negative sense, they've chosen the option of projecting their trauma onto other people rather than choosing the difficult option of acknowledging their trauma and healing from it. But at the same time, we all use social media as a way of escapism, of clarifying, trying to clarify and trying to understand the world, but at the same time becoming more and more overwhelmed by the world. So um, I think I just want people to prioritise the inner rather than the external um, and not be afraid to go inwards and not be afraid to ask yourselves the questions rather than hoping that other people will answer them for you. I think that that's something that most trans people have had to do, um, that we haven't had the option. Um, Not so much now where there's much more information out there, but a lot of my generation, I sound like such an old (laughs) trans person, but... um, you know, we we really had to go inside. And, you know, I think all trans people have to go inside and, you know, ask yourself, is this what I want for myself? Am I going to be happier? Should I take this difficult route of healing to be who I want to be? Or am I going to take the easier option of distraction and um, of putting things off? And eventually the easier option doesn't end at an easier destination. It's just going to drive you into a place where you've been so distracted that you haven't dealt with anything and you end up in a harder situation that you would have should you've chosen the harder option in the short term of healing. You know, it's like short-term difficulties for long-term benefits in healing and short-term, long-term distractions for like long-term difficulties I guess if I've explained that all right you have yeah that, I think that's amazing advice actually um yeah certainly resonates for me we've just got to go to a quick break but we'll be right back we're back with Munro Bergdorf who was just talking to us about um in your own words sounding like an older trans person <laughs> um and which brings us on to your next piece of advice which is listen to your elders <laughs> Yes, yes, quite. Um, I, I've learned so much from listening to my queer elders. And I, you know, at the beginning of my transition, I 
just kind of, you know, I mean, it's like when you first come out as queer or whatnot and, you know, you're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and, um, you know, the bitter old queen in the in the corner of the club rolling their eyes at you dancing on the bar kind of situation. And um, I don't know, I kind of wish that I'd listened to my queer elders a lot more at the beginning of my transition because a lot of what they told me would happen should I not be connected with myself and connected with, um, you know, doing things for myself rather than for society or for the attention of um, potential suitors or um, trying to please other people apart from myself, you know, that it wouldn't put me in a good position um, emotionally and spiritually, um, physically or mentally. Um so, and also I, I feel like, you know, life goes in cycles and um, a lot of what happened in the past will happen in the future. Um, so I think there's there's a lot to be said with looking at how older generations dealt with adversity. So, you know, I mean, for instance, in America, abortion rights being wound back I think that looking to how older generations fought for reproductive rights is going to help us fight for them again. I think that looking at how older generations dealt with and fought for trans rights is going to help us fight in this time of systemic media transphobia. I think that looking at the organisation of older generations that didn't have the internet is going to help us in this time of internet censorship. I think internet censorship is a big reminder that we can't rely on the internet for activism and progress. We need to make sure that we are plugged in to real life mediums as well. So um, I'm just all about listening to queer elders. I'm about, you know, learning our history because when we learn about our histories, we can learn about, we can understand the present and we can safeguard the future. I just think mixed uh, age friendship groups are really underrated. I mean, I get so much out of just having people in their 20s in my life Mm. as somebody that's pushing 40 and some people that are sort of in their 60s and 70s. And especially being part of the queer community, I totally agree. Um, I can learn so much from our elders, but also I'm finding at the moment that I can learn so much from the younger generation mm, and um, what I'm learning from conversations with like 15, 16, 17 year olds is just blowing my mind. So yeah, I totally think you're absolutely right on that one. Um, I think that's, I think that's also where like, you know, uh, a queer chosen family unit really thrives. My, one of my best friends is 21 and I've kind of become like his mother figure But at the same time, I'm learning a lot from him as someone who is Gen Z. And, you know, that generation really see through so many of the things that we've internalized and struggle to um, struggle to process, struggle to see through. Um, So, yeah, I mean, they're a massively liberated um, generation in many ways, having to navigate a world that has been very repressed and very almost very linear and they recognize that 
you know, the lived experience isn't linear. It's, um, you know, full of ups and downs and, you know, the binaries doesn't, the binary doesn't exist. And, you know, seeing through all of these structures that we just took as verbatim and um, they're just, they're just challenging them and they're seeing through them and they're, you know, embracing them sometimes and disregarding them sometimes. I, I, I'm really, really impressed with them. Yeah, same. Um, what's your fifth piece of advice? My fifth piece of advice is not everyone is entitled access to you. Yeah, I think it's about boundaries. I think it's about, you know, when I first came out and when I was younger, I really felt like I needed to put it all out there for people to accept me because I felt like everyone had to accept me. I felt like everyone had to understand me. Everyone had to see my view. And, you know, to an extent, everyone had to agree with me because I was right. (laughs) But at the same time, not everybody is entitled access to you, but you are also not entitled access to everybody else. And I think that that understanding that the fact that not everybody needs to agree with you, not everybody thinks the same thing as you, not everybody has the same lived experience is a really powerful piece of knowledge to pass on because you stop feeling so frustrated with people and you stop feeling like everybody has to be on your page because we all have our own journeys. We all get to where we need to go eventually, hopefully, but we all do it at our own pace. And when I first came out as trans to my parents, I was so adamant that they had to understand everything straight away. And it takes a lot of time for a parent to really understand a trans child if they've never experienced any trans people knowingly. So not everybody's entitled access to you, but you're not also entitled access to everybody. I think it's just bearing in mind that, you know, exercise your own boundaries understand your friendships as they function that you know some friends are going to be closer than others some friends are going to be able to take on more than others but also you know you aren't entitled at complete access to everybody as well and sometimes when someone can't give you their everything there's a reason for that so that's definitely helped me with my friendships to not expect the world from somebody who can't give you the world and you talked about friendship there but also I think for people listening like not expecting that kind of everything or that kind of access from people that they maybe follow on social media who Mm. they don't know who they look up to who are role models I mean you're coming at it from being in the position of a role model or in a person of influence but I think for many of our listeners they might relate to that feeling of like wanting the person that they follow or the person that they Mm. really look up to to kind of be everything for them at all times and feeling disappointed or let Mm. down when they aren't and I think it's really as you say important to remember that um, those people don't exist for you Mm. (laughs) yeah um, no I completely agree with you I think it goes back to like the first point as well about you know the fact that we're all going through something the way that people react sometimes isn't personal and um you know if somebody doesn't give you complete access to them then it may be because they're reserving their energy or because there's a guard up there because they're actually going through something so yeah not to expect the world from anybody because you know people really usually give as much as they can And if there's a guard up there or if there's defence there, then that's usually for a reason. Mm. 
Now, I'm really intrigued by your sixth piece of advice because it is when people show you who they are, believe them the first time. Mm. <laughs> what do you mean by this? I, you know, obviously this isn't a hard and fast rule. I, I do believe in second chances, but at the same time, when somebody doesn't take into um, consideration how something that they do will make you feel, I think that it's important to take note. So when it comes to, you know, say you're in a relationship and somebody cheats on you, that's a, that's quite a stark um, example of disrespect. Um, and, or if, you know, um, you're in a situation in a workplace and, you know, you get thrown under the bus or that kind of... I think with severe situations of people disregarding how you feel in a situation, I think it's important to remember that so that you expect that rather than forgive and... <laughs> that sounds so toxic. <laughs> rather than completely forgive and go in blind. Um, it's a Maya Angelou quote. And um, I don't think it's really necessarily about cutting people off as soon as you see that they don't behave in a way that you deem fully respectful of you. I just think sometimes it's more healthier to just take note and just say, okay, well, this is what, this is how you see me. This is what, who I am to you. This is how you see our connection. This is what I expect now. And that's what I try to exercise instead of falling out with people. And so it's not as toxic as it sounded initially. <laughs> instead of, instead of falling <laughs> out with people, instead of, you know, having massive arguments. When somebody disrespects me, I remember it. And I don't expect complete respect for them in the future. And also, I just won't share things with them. I won't be completely vulnerable with somebody who isn't going to respect my vulnerability. That sounds very sensible. It is sensible, right? And also, I, I just don't like personal conflict. I'll, you know, I'll debate you on television. I'll, you know, have, like, dinner table conversations and talk to people that don't, um, you know agree with me but when it comes to respect that's very different and I was talking to somebody the other day about you know talking to Tories <laughs> and um you know how everybody including Tories deserve respect but there has to be mutual mutual respect there and too often there isn't mutual respect to begin with so when you come back to somebody who is supporting policy that is dehumanizing you. It's not a level playing field to begin with. But if there's, you know, um, somebody who is a conservative, of, and I'm not, and we meet each other with respect, and it's respectful, and they're open to changing their mind, I'm open to seeing the other side, then we can have a conversation. But if you're going to come at me and say that you support legislation and policies that are in direct contrast to my being and you don't care about me because I'm the minority you don't care about my community because you know we're a very small percentage of the population and disregard the human cost of this policy then that is active disrespect and I'm going to expect that behavior from you and then I think it's like you know it goes down that scale so um yeah I think it's sensible mm. 
Talk to me about your bad advice. So my bad advice is, um, I just said black excellence, because even though it's very important for us as black people to see black excellence and to see people that are succeeding, I think that there has become a pressure on especially young black people to be the embodiment of black excellence. When for other people of other ethnicities, mediocrity is somewhat often celebrated and is often in the room. But for black people, we have to often work twice as hard just to get that you know, the same response that mediocrity often gets for other races. So I want people to just not feel that pressure to be excellent at everything. I want people to feel like they are enough. Obviously, set yourself goals, set yourself targets, have dreams and and ambitions, but to always put the pressure on yourselves to be excellent at everything and to only see excellence in spaces where for other people, we don't see, you know, white excellence all the time. Um, And I think that it's good to see a spectrum of just everybody just living. And, you know, we shouldn't have to just see white excellence either. We should see everybody as they are um, and celebrate everybody as they are. So, yeah, that's my piece of bad advice. I, I think that there's a pressure. Yeah. Have you personally felt that pressure of black excellence in your own in your own career? Um, Yeah, I have. But also I think it's a pressure that we end up putting on ourselves because obviously there's a lack of um, representation for people succeeding in their fields um, in the media and in society. Um, You know, we often don't hear about success stories, but I think if we're only just hearing about success stories, then it then puts a pressure on people that don't have that access to that excellence or people that have um, experienced severe adversity. So I think it's really important that yes, we do see black excellence, but that we also see black adversity, that we see black struggle, that we see um, the whole spectrum of the human experience, especially for black people who are so marginalized and so underrepresented in the UK anyway. So um, yeah, I I just want kids and the younger generations to understand that you don't need to be excellent to be respected, that you deserve to be in the room and that everybody has a journey of improvement and that you don't need to get it straight away, that I want to see black journeys, I want to see, um, you know, black struggle, I want to see black success, but I also want to, you know, see that the journey to success isn't linear. I don't just want to see finished products of excellence. I want to see journeys. I want to see vulnerability. I want to see weakness as well as strength. I want to see the whole human experience, not just the finished product. Absolutely. Wow, Monroe, that was such a powerful piece of advice to end on. Thank, Thank you. you. That was, was really a pleasure talking to you. And I've got <laughs> Through my out croak. Yeah, and um, even yeah, even when you're not 100, percent you um, don't fail to inspire. So thank you so much for giving your time to us today, and um, best of luck with everything. Thank you for having me. Munro Bergdorf is such a thoughtful and inspiring person. I've had the pleasure of speaking to her a couple of times, and she never fails to leave me with something to think about. I really, really enjoyed it, and I hope you did too. 
thank you for being with us for this episode of Grazia Life Advice. I'll finish with the usual podcaster's plea. Please, if you've enjoyed the episode, rate and review Grazia Life Advice in your podcast player and share this episode with a friend who you think might like it. It really helps us out. Word of mouth is so powerful. Thank you, take care and see you next time.